All right, guys. Uh, welcome back to the Failing Stars podcast. And uh, on today, as episode, I honestly just really want to get into. It. I'm very excited about this one. And uh, we have a pretty remarkable guest today. Uh, and and uh, tell me how you pronounce your name. I don't. I'm I'm from Texas. I'm going to butcher it. <laughs> uh, I pronounce it Haukan. Haukan. Yeah, that something like close? that. That that's fine. I don't care. Okay. Well, um, yeah. so uh, you you're the founder of Spur, correct? That's correct. Awesome. So first off, thing it's it's honestly an honor to have you on the show, and I I, I I've been doing some some research, and and I've got I'm I'm really excited to kind of dive into it. So, um, one like as a so I'm a small business owner, and I I think it's so. Interesting. I'm really intrigued on how you take something from, you know, you you starting it to um, a a globally recognized company that's been in, uh, you know, a lot of different environments and and been proven time and time again. And uh, like when when you started it, did you see it ending up where it is now? And no, not 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 at all. And like everybody else, I started in the garage, yeah. uh, and I started my, myself alone, um, and um, I, I, w- I was employed. Or actually, uh, we, we, if we start from the beginning, I, I decided when I was ten years old to become gunsmith. There was never really any choice. Uh, guns was the only thing that counted for me. So, and and. I, I, I asked a friend when I was 13 years old, well, how should I become a gunsmith? And he said, you, you got to start as a toolmaker first. So go go on education to become a toolmaker. So you learn how to use the, the steel and the and the metal. So I did. And from my book was 16 and onwards uh, for eight years, I worked as a toolmaker in the plastic mold industry and, and press tools. Um, and after that, I went to Austria, uh, worked there for six months, and I didn't like it, so I went back home. And with this friend that I asked when I was 13, I started a company. That company didn't turn out very well, so we sold it a few years later. And I stayed and worked in that company. And uh, from 2002, I made uh, some development work for, for Aimpoint. So I made a twist mount for Aimpoint. I made an MPS mount for heavy machine guns. And I made some other stuff for Aimpoint at the time. Uh, I did everything in metal. So they, they t- told me, we want this sight on this gun, and it should be able to do this and this. And I had to come up with, with, with the solution. So I had like free hands to do what, whatever I wanted um, with, within those limitations. And that worked really well. Um, there was a unit that have heard that I made the, the stuff for Aimpoint. So they approached me uh, when I was still employed uh, by, by the company that we, 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 uh, we sold it to. Um, and uh, they, they asked me, uh, can you make a, a helmet mount, a helmet mount for, for, for night vision, like the PVS-14 okay. and Mount 14 and so on. So I spent four years developing probably the most advanced head mount that have been made so far. It's extremely well made, uh, but it never really became a, a good product for the company. And 
I, I had a discussion with, with, with my former boss in 2007, um, and, and we decided to split up, and uh, I started Spur. And uh, he, he told me, uh, no, those products that you develop for, for, for our company, um, you can't keep them. Uh, of course I can't. I, don't, I do understand that, that that's not the problem. Right now, you have a Mark One. In two months, I have a Mark Two. So the question is who you are going to sell the Mark One to. So um, we, we made a, an agreement so I could keep what I had developed for the company. First product was the, the head mount. And the production started in 2010. So between 2007 and 2010, I basically earned no money at all. It, it was really, really tough times. Um, and I heard a rumor, probably in 2008, 2009, that the Swedish Army should should refurbish their their uh, Accuracy International 7.62s, the AWs. Okay. They did at the time have Hensolt 10 by 42 scopes with 26 millimeter main tubes. So I realized when they are going to change the scopes, it likely will be a 34 millimeter. So they have to change the scope mounts. And I had some ideas for a scope mount, and we I, I started to to play around with with various ideas. And before we had machined any scope mounts at all, I took all the pictures I had and I put them out in my first post on Sniper Side, probably in two thousand and nine or maybe two thousand and eight. And I said, "This is my take on on the optimized uh, sniper or or marksmanship uh, scope mount." What do you guys think about this? Uh, have I overworked it? Is there something I have missed? What should I think about? And that became a number of discussions. Uh, that I didn't have any other thoughts at the time, but that was actually a really, really good marketing thing. Because when we later finally had a scope mount on the market, there was quite a lot of people from sniper side, not only in America, but also in the rest of the world that felt, I'm a part of this. I, I was in these discussions. I want to have that yeah. scope mount. So the sales went on really good from, from, from that point. Wow. Okay. Um, so uh, you said something. So I listened to uh, the podcast that you did with Eric Cortina and, uh, there was a deal, uh, you, you kind of touched on it, that you were talking about um, when you were trying to get, I think it was the night vision mounts going, that you went and talked to a bank and they said no. Yeah. Uh, what, what, so what's what was the story on that? We we had we had our first order, and, and this was probably probably 2010, I might be wrong about the year, but we we, we had a first order and that was for about uh, $300,000. And I didn't have any money at all. I was just completely empty. So went to the bank showing uh, the purchase order from the army. Look here what we have and I need to borrow, I don't know what I asked for, 200,000 or something like that to produce uh, demands and no you can't borrow anything there is no security in, in, in this order yeah but i said this is an army procurement uh, isn't that security no it's not the security we want real security that means part of your house 
So uh, both me and and uh, Ulf uh, that that was uh, came into the company a bit later. Uh, we, we we had to put uh, our house um, on on security for the bank. So if, if things had went bad at that time, we wouldn't have any roof over our heads. Yeah. Well, it's so I, I I just I think that's so interesting. So I'm I'm early in in my business career, and uh, it, I I haven't. I haven't taken any money out of the business in yeah. three years, and it's and I've so I've, and it's a it, it's a and it just resonated uh, with me a lot. Uh, it's I've been trying to grow it, and it's a uh, but it's just I think it's very interesting to see um, how potentially really scary moments like that can yeah, can and and, and after that, I actually went to 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 a friend I had at the time. He's not alive anymore. But he he was one of the richest men in Sweden. So I asked him, uh, and I showed him uh, the, the product and the potential. Is it possible to borrow money from you? No. No. I don't borrow out any money. But I would really like to, to purchase a part of your company. So let's say, for example, if he purchased, or, or any investor, the, 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 any investor that goes in and, for example, pay, let's say, 200000 for for 5% or 10% or whatever, mm -hmm. that works fine. And 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 you get a deal and, and you deliver the stuff. But you lost 10% of the company. Yeah. Then three years later, you have another potential and you need now uh, $1 million. You can't get the whole of $1 million. And then he comes again. Yeah, no problem. I have $1 million here. I want an additional 15%. Suddenly, you're the minority owner of your company. Yeah. And we said, no, thanks. We don't want to be that. We don't want to play this game. I so love that. We, 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 we took all the risks ourselves, and we really didn't want any, any um, investors. Now, an important thing here, and I, I see that quite a few companies do that in, in the early stage, to buy that really fancy car that they always wanted, yeah, yep. that's the wrong that's the wrong time to buy that fancy car. Buy it ten yes. years like not in the. I mean, the, the first five years are, are are just hell. So stick hard to your money. Yes, it's then that's that that's solid advice. I I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. It's been it's been the the most stressful and the most fun time of my life. Uh, yeah. uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. But but sometimes I my my that's why I wear hats all the time. My hairline is just <laughs> racing backwards. Yeah. So, um, okay, and so so you did you did the um, the the contract for this for the scope mounts. Where where did it go from there? Um, were you continue? Was it primarily bidding on military contracts um, with the scope mounts, or were there other things involved uh, as y'all continued on? Uh, almost immediately, we, we got this small contract with the Swedish Army for for the upgrade of their AWS, 
and 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 that was a special scope mount for a 34 millimeter that get, went directly on to the aw so that that means that 11 millimeter dovetail and we we made from the beginning actually quite a number of different scope mounts uh different models for different guns and uh, we came pretty early into to various military contracts uh, okay. But but the, the civilian sales have been really important from day one. Okay. Okay. Without civilian sales, it's 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 really 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 difficult. Okay. Okay. Well, and so that was that was one of the things uh, that I I I noticed is I I love I love how uh, it, I mean it's obvious that that spur products have been used in, in different military. Um, aspects in a lot of different ways but it the company also very much supports the civilian market and you don't see a lot of companies do that uh it, they'll either we're 100 percent doing military contracts or our products proprietary civilians aren't allowed to own it um or they don't see the the benefit in supporting the civilian side of shooting so i think i, I just thought that was really neat um and, and and I don't see much choice really. I mean, you, there, there is time spinning between various military contracts, and and you you want to eat in the in the meantime. So either you have the civilian sales or 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 you don't have anything. So I I, I think you really need both. I agree. I just it's uh, I wish everybody shared that sentiment. <laughs> um, yeah, and and. Everything is good experience, um, and I, I I really think the more times you produce the product, the better the product becomes. Yeah, and and the first time you produce something, uh, there is certainly some flaws, and and yeah. then you make another production run, and you get a hold of a, of a few flaws, and and you refine the product all the time. Uh, it's, it be becomes better for the customer, and it be becomes better for for yourself. So the uh, the assembly of the product becomes easier. Uh, it, it can be really small things, but um, for for example, if there if there is something uh, a problem in in a round hole, and there should be a pen fitting there, uh, if all those things are fixed, so the assembly goes really smooth. That's a hell of difference from from uh, you have to tweak everything to to have it to work. So uh, you really want as much production as as you can. Yeah. Okay. And and so um, so I I, th I think most people that are listening to this ha have seen have seen your your scope mounts. I've got a handful of them. They're 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 very very good they're they're a top tier product i think but how and so th this is where i kind of want to pick your brain as as I, i'm not creative in the sense that uh being able to like come up with an idea and then create uh a physical object or or design something i'm i'm creative in in some other ways and so i kind of want so when you when you developed that mount it was I guess what was the process of you coming up with the design that it that it is now? Um, was it something that you came up with that you thought worked, or was there a a problem 
that you found a solution for, or how how did that come about? It it, it really started with, with with the special forces group that contacted me, and they wanted me to mill in doctor mans into their um, existing scope mans. And I could see okay. the problems with that. And I, I did the work for them. So, so that, that was just a, like a gunsmithing work, but for, for, for a number of rifles. Uh, and uh, I could see, well, here is, here is a need. And at that time, now, now we're in 2009, there were, were no things such as laser rangefinders that you could mount on the scope mount or on the gun. That didn't exist. Mm -hmm. But I realized that there is a number of things that you can mount on a, on, on a scope mount. And there is a number of things you can mount on a gun. And there will probably sooner or later come um, laser rangefinders as well. And today, I mean, almost everybody today, they, they are offering some kind of stuff so you can mount something on the scope mount. Either it's integral picketing rail or, or it's an interface system like the, the one we have. Mm -hmm. so, so I think that that was quite obvious at the time. Now, an important thing when, when it comes to, to running the business is that Ulf, that, that was my business partner up until we, we sold to, to CC uh, a few years ago. Well, he, he's still in the company, just like me, but uh, he's the business guy. I'm not the business guy. Uh, I really don't care about money. I, I, it really never interested me. I, I care about the stuff, and I think guns and, and scope mounts and and, and and optics and all that stuff. I think that's really interesting. So I've always been shooting a lot, and and uh, uh, my own needs is 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 uh, what I look on on the most. Okay. And of course, if a customer is contacting me, then then I'm listening to what they say, and and uh, I look at my own needs at the same time, and 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 my own experience. Okay, well, and so the the interface system that you that you mentioned, so it, it it's a it's really unique and it's very different than anything else that's out there. And I would assume, especially for when it was developed, when uh, I would guess most stuff was uh, just like a basic Picatinny mounting system. How how did you? I'm trying to get into your brain a little bit and think how how do you how did you sit and look at okay these are the current mounting system offerings that are available I'm going to develop something that's totally different when I started with uh, with interface we had a totally different interface we had actually a slot milled into the ring and there were two trades and and there was a corresponding piece in, in the picketing rail that went into the slot. Now, here is a big problem, and that is tolerance in aluminium. Because as soon as you have machined something in aluminium and you're sending it off to, to surface treatment, that is hard coat anodizing, tolerances are changing. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter how good you make it, it will not be the same after surface treatment. So we can't have a system where we rely on that we made a four millimeter slot or a quarter inch slot or whatever, and a piece that should fit into that. Because in, in, in one case, it will be too stiff. And in another case, it will be sloppy. So we really needed something else. 
And in, in machinery, when, when it comes to drill press or, or a lathe or a milling machine, we're using conical parts all over the place. Uh, so for example, uh, the, the milling chuck, chuck it, uh, it's always on a cone. Uh, same yeah. thing with the lathe chuck or with the drill chuck, etc. Yeah. So that's where and, that that's where that came from. Yeah. Hmm. Correct. That's okay, and it, it makes sense. And, and I think we're starting to see more uh, concepts around that, and some of the tools and dies and stuff that are coming out uh, now. But I just I thought it was it it was it was a it was a unique system. And then you know Picatinny there. It, it, it's especially depending on what where you're mounting it it's it's super uncomfortable to hold on to and it's heavy and um and then you take something that actually takes weight out of it um and then you know it self-centers itself i just thought it was uh i mean kind yeah. of a stroke of genius honestly <laughs> <laughs> well, well well it's really like any tool tool making machine is, is the same thing so it's just a standard way of doing things. It, it sounds very simple when you put it that way, but it's, it's uh, um, yeah. Okay. And, and, and that's really a good thing when you've been playing around with a lot of mechanical parts, like in, in my case, tools and, and other guys that have been working with cars or motorcycle or whatever, you, you see a number of, of mechanical solutions that works and you see a number of mechanical solutions that fails. And and uh, you bring those things with you, uh, and you try to avoid some things, and and you, you you try to go for other things. Okay, and so um, so you you've developed quite a few different products that 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 span a a, a decent realm of things in the firearms world, and so I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit on on like your your development process and so like is it something so you kind of talked about things that you need personally um but uh some of these other products i mean is it you do you see hey that's a problem and i can make it better or um i guess i guess what i'm trying to what i'm trying to think is like what's what's your thought process for like when you set out to develop a solution for for whatever it may be to that being a finished product shipping out to customers um and that's a very broad all, question i i spend i spend a shitload of hours with the stuff uh so i don't work 74 that that don't happen and yeah. the good ideas are usually never 74 not in, yeah. not in my case um that means um uh, if i'm working with with a 203 for example uh the the, uh, the, the fourth grenade launcher and i may decide for that that means that that 203 is with me 24 7 for quite a while okay yeah um so I'm spending shitload of time. Uh, so I really understand it and, and really understand the need. Um, and and then the idea, the ideas, they, they come by themselves. Okay. 
Okay, that I mean that. Okay, so that makes sense. And then so, how once you come up with the idea, um, how difficult is it to take it from an idea to a physical product, or even you know just for, a prototype? For many years, I couldn't do any CAD myself. I didn't do any CAD at all, and I can't sketch with with a pen pen and a paper either. So I went straight out to the machines and I I machined the parts. Machining the parts is, is is really easy for me at least. I'll say I'll take your word for it. I'm not a machinist by any stretch. Yeah. Um, if you're interested, I I, I have um, an Instagram uh, called Spur X Gunsmith. Spur uh, underline X underline Gunsmith, and this has nothing to do at all with the company. Not the, not not the slightest. But I'm doing a lot of mechanical stuff there just to entertain myself. I, I still think that mechanics is, is the most fun things ever. Uh, so I'm constantly looking for, for fun projects that entertain me. Uh, I don't do work for other people. Um, I, I quit uh, doing gunsmithing work for other people about 20 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there was quite a number of, of gunsmithing work that only I did. And here in Sweden, for example, we have loads of SIG P210 pistols. And they are fantastic pistols, but most of them were imported into Sweden in the 50s and the 60s. So they have had a long, hard life, and mm -hmm. many have cracked over the years. So I welded hundreds of those. And after I quit, there was nobody else that was doing it. So people continued to call me. Could you please weld my gun? No, sorry, I, I don't. I don't work for money anymore. Oh, what what, what do you want instead? I, I want to trade. Uh, big German naval binoculars, old funny guns, or blonde girlfriends or sisters. No, oh, I don't have anything to trade with. No, oh, sorry. <laughs> and I don't want to do any work. So that's fine. Yeah, so I, I I went actually so I went through that Instagram account and uh it and I was expecting it to be somewhat related to the company. And when I and when I started looking through it, it, it the the vast array of things that you were messing with uh really shocked me, uh to be honest. Uh, and so it that's why, I, and then I started getting really. I was like, "This guy is is a a tinkerer and a and a a, a thinker." And so, um, that's why I, I was. I really wanted to kind of pick your brain because you. I I feel like you think very differently than I do, um, and that's a, a real a, a, a unique skill set. Um, so okay, so a little bit on on a on a side note. What what's your favorite thing to do regarding guns? Cause I see you do pistol smithing and rifle smithing and creating parts and uh kind of a little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh I don't care very much for 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 just buying parts and assembling them. That doesn't okay. count. Uh uh well when I started 16 years old as as a toolmaker. And I got uh, got out work and uh, working in plastic mills that was really, really, really difficult. And maybe there were other guys that spent hundred hours in that plastic mill already. I, I, well, this is steel mills. 
for, for making plastic parts. Uh, but I got really, really nervous. And, and it was really, really difficult, especially for a 16 year old. But that feeling of, of this being really, really difficult, I don't know how the hell I should fix this. And, and this, is, this is way over my skill set. Uh, I, I really like that feeling. So I'm actually looking for that still. Okay, so that, you, that makes sense. You, you've probably seen that double barrel rifle barrel set I just made uh, on, on my Instagram. Um, that is definitely way above my skill set. Uh, I don't know anything about it. And I, I spoke to, I had good friends, good help from friends in the UK who've been working with it and, and, and is working with it. So, so I got good tips and, and ideas how to do it. And, and, uh, yeah. And so what it what is the project? Like, so what do you I mean what are you doing with it? Well, I have a double barrel rifle 9.3 by 74R and I am okay. kind of kind of tired of of big heavy calibers. So I I, I made a new barrel set in 6.5 by 57R. So okay. from the monoblock and with the two barrels in and and ribs and and uh, making the monoblock and and making everything. Wow, yeah, that's really cool. It is, <laughs> and it's it's hundreds and hundreds of hours. Oh, I can I can imagine. Uh, yeah. So, uh, do you do you mess with so double barrel rifles aren't a really big thing over here? No, uh, no, not here either. No, uh, okay. No, very few people have double barrel rifles. Yeah. Uh, do you uh, so do you are you using it for hunting or I mean what yeah I am okay what do you what do you hunt uh, we, we hunt quite a lot of, of wild boar uh, roe deer uh, fallow deer um, and of course foxes and badgers and so on but but mainly the deer and, and, and the wild boar okay that's I love I love well, I love shooting pigs. I don't, I don't know what it is, but there's something about it. Yeah, and and, and we we hunt a lot of pigs by night, so we are using thermals. Okay. Um, I'm I'm doing that actually with a homemade bolt rifle, um, uh, and I will not use the double barrel rifle there. I, I will not put a, a thermal onto the double barrel rifle. Of course, no way. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a little bit of a a more classic system. Yeah, that I, I remember the first time I ever saw a double barrel rifle. It was a, it was a guy I used to work for um, straight out of college, and uh, he he safaried every year. And uh, him and his son went in on a it's like a nineteen twenty eight um, Rigby uh, double barrel four sixteen. I mean, it was a work of art it was unbelievable yeah. uh and, and i kind of went down a rap i i don't own any uh but i kind of went down a rabbit hole researching them and, and and rigby and uh it's pretty amazing what some of those yeah setups are yeah um further on my favorite pistol uh since many many years is the p p8 the luger pistol so I spent shitload of hours on, on, on that. 
both making new parts and, and uh, customizing them quite a lot. Um, there is not a market for it, N not not really. Uh, I yes, yeah, for, for, yeah. Um, and I made uh, built a, uh, an open gun for my girlfriend, uh, where where uh, that was actually the first first uh, open gun I built in in over twenty years. And the funny thing with it, uh, I, I I could try a lot of techniques that I haven't tried before. So uh, I made uh, a comp that is sl uh, slided into to the frame. Uh, you have to put put on a, as little pressure on on the slide as possible. So 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 the barrel and and um, and the comp is actually hanging to the frame. Interesting. Yeah. I'm trying to picture how that. How that works? Is, is it the I I saw a, a quit. Is it the one that you put on your Instagram? Yeah. Okay, I'll have to go back and look at it because I didn't I didn't look that close. No. Okay. Um. Okay. And so sorry. I I I know we went down a bit of a rabbit hole there, but uh. So going back to like you design you designing products and stuff. So. So you go out, program it into your machine. You make this prototype thing. How? No, I, I don't. Okay. Ninety-nine point nine percent. I'm running manual machinery, so so it's not programmed. Oh, okay. It's old school. Uh, the production at the company it's 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 very modern. Uh, it's four and five axis, uh, and it's all robot fed. Uh, it's it's totally different. But my own workshop that that is like the fifties or the sixties or something like that. It's it's okay. very old school. There is a CNC, but uh, I rarely use it. Okay. Um, okay, so you go manually make this thing, yeah. which blows my mind. Uh, that's just not the world I I live in. Uh, so once you have this this prototype, what's I mean, in in general, I mean, is do you have to make a ton of different tweaks to that prototype before it ever becomes a final product, or how how difficult is it once you have that to to finish it up? It really depends. So, so sometimes it's okay. spot on almost immediately, and 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 other times it's uh, it needs a ton of, of, of tweaks and and uh, okay. new prototypes. And and yeah. now at the, at the company, um, uh, we are a team at the company, so many times the original idea comes from me, uh, but I have some some really really good engineers uh, that make it to, to a producible product. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, my, my, my interest in the product is, is really mainly for the first 85%. And the last okay. 85% is, are, 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 yeah, they are that boring. <laughs> okay. So what's, what's your, what's your favorite product that you've designed? Uh, the favorite product is by far the chassis system. Okay. Uh, 
I, I, I think the chassis system is giving the most to the shooters. I think it's absolutely exceptional. The thing is, um, we bought a couple of, of, of impact actions and and um, she bought uh, uh, an existing chassis. And I said, I, I will never shoot with that. And then that's really a disaster. And, and and what I find so important is that the eye relief is, is constant. Okay. Uh, and when you go down in prone, your, your eye is moving forward normally. So mm -hmm. your eye is going forward almost an inch. And when you put on heavy clothing for winter time, your your eye is going further away from the scope. This is really annoying. And either you accept it and and, and you do do the best out of it. And what most people are do doing is that they are having a too short length of pull. And I find that really annoying because uh, changing my neck back and forth it doesn't yeah. work very. Well. So so I really really wanted a, a really really quick length of pull uh, adjustment so we we adjust the length of pull within a second easily within a second mm -hmm. um, and i do it on the, on the fly uh so if i'm going from shooting through a window and uh, going down in prone i will definitely extend the length of pull so i get the right eye relief when when i'm shooting both positions okay yeah um uh, but that was just one thing. We, 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 there is a number of things in, in that chassis that is totally different from, from everybody else. And uh, I, I'm extremely happy with it, the way it turned out. It, 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 it's a really good thing. So, so the chassis was one of the things that I, I, I had written down that I really wanted to talk about. So it, I, want, I want one to, to mess around with. Um, but so... I did the podcast with Adam from yeah uh, that connect, and so he and he was going on about it. So one of his big things that he really hit on was the the grip for the chassis, and that how you can get your thumb directly behind uh, the action of the bore, and and it's a more natural position. And he, he said once once he got once he moved to that, he's he's never been able to blame a bad trigger press because it's always <laughs> just perfect uh um, yeah okay can you kind of walk me through that because it, if you if you look at your chassis compared to others that are on the market that section in particular is very different um so i mean it is I guess very different um there is actually more that have done it. There is another Swedish chassis system that have the same kind of of, of time placement. Um, so, but but that's just a good thing. And and then we added the possibility to move the grip back and forth, so you can actually get the correct distance to your trigger. And and very few chassis have that possibility. Right. Um, how how important do you think the the position and comfortability of your shooting hand is to a proper trigger press? I don't know. I haven't thought about it that way. 
what I really focused on uh, is really the eye relief to 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 get okay. um, a, a good uh, good placement for for the head. Um, I I think that is so extremely important. Uh, but but there is a number of things we did on that chassis that I don't hear anybody else talk about. For example, I believe very much that in, in many cases that the actions are are fairly weak and and um, we are compensating that by bedding in, bedding up. So so the the action is is placed in in the chassis or the stock, and that that's of course good. It, it's really good. To bed uh, i always recommend that but i think that the more stability we can get from the chassis into the action the better it is and i, I see a big difference here between for example accuracy international accuracy international action and chassis it's really really stiff and it's, it's really well known for how accurate and how good it is mm -hmm. uh, so I designed uh, the chassis to be fairly high over over the, where where the magazine sits and where 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 the action sits, and that that was just to to have it as as little flexible as possible, and actually to add in stiffness to the action. Okay. A another thing that I was really annoyed by a, a number of other chassis is that they are singing. When you're shooting, you, you can hear a singing sound of the chess. Mm, or a ringing yeah. sound of the chassis. Uh, I spent a lot of time to not have a singing ringing sound of the chassis because that's a vibration and there is no reason to have that vibration. We don't want any vibrations at all. And th that's also one of the reasons why our forehand is, is uh, going around the barrel. It's it's very much easier to to get rid of of the ringing singing sound with with the forehand that, that goes all the way around. Okay, so that's that's what I was going to ask next. So it, it is how did how did you accomplish getting rid of that? Is 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 yeah. it primarily that portion of the the forehand? Not 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 only another part that 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 plays in is uh, is material thickness. If you okay. have an even material thickness, um, uh, you easily get uh, the sound. But if you are varying your material thickness, uh, you're killing out a lot of the sound, a lot of the vibrations. So okay. we don't have an even thickness. Okay. Yeah. Another thing that I found really important, I, I, I really think, I mean, modern chassis need to, to have a folder. Not that you really need a folder. Most people don't need it. But right. as, as we have a really, really high chic piece, everybody have a high chic piece, everybody have a high butt plate. It's mm -hmm. annoying to be forced to remove the chic piece, to remove the butt plate. So I want... Um, the folder at least fold so I can get the bolt out, I can clean the gun, and and this makes life just easy. Um, and I have been shooting with, with the TOG folders since 2007 or something, and I really like yeah. them. But the problem is that I got play in them. After, yeah. after some years shooting, 
there is a play and I couldn't adjust that play. Uh, I don't know how it is with, with their latest models. Uh, it's very possible that they fixed that issue. Mm -hmm. But uh, on, on my old chassis, I had to hammer them and I had to weld up and, and I have to fix the play by, by various means. And, and now on our own chassis, I, I made an adjustable solution. So there should never be any play. If there is a play, there is something wrong and you can easily adjust it out yourself. So there is no play. It should feel like a fixed stock. I, I So I, I stayed away from folders forever because I was afraid of the same thing. Uh, yeah. I, I, and I think, I think they've come a tremendous way uh but I yeah I was always I was like this thing's gonna feel like a rattly piece of crap before you know before too long and and so I just I, I finally my, my first folder was I, I got an AI a couple years ago yeah. and and it's it's very uh oh. well when your clothes are open this folder it, it feels like a vault door and that's the full feeling I want yes yeah I I I'm I I went and looked at them uh, again at Shot Show this year, and they're they're very nice. Uh, I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, the so I liked well. There's there's a handful of things, but the things that I, that I thought really stood out was the adjustable length of pool, and the uh, adjustable back rider, uh, yeah. and how 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 easy both of them were. Yeah, that works really, really well. And, and the adjustable bag rider, it has become very popular and everybody that are using it seems to love it. Yeah, um, so, and I, I I only know of, I think one other chassis that, for, and it's the, the Masterpiece Arms uh, that has a, like a quick adjust uh, bag rider. And and when I when I first saw it, I, I thought that's you know that's interesting, uh, but I don't think I would ever use it. Uh, and then everybody I've ever talked to that has ever touched one, they're like, it's the first thing I use, and now I don't want anything without it. Yeah, and and what people say normally is that they 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 don't know what height of the bipod they need, so they put it out one or clicks extra. Yep, it, it, and then they compensate with the bang rider. And you do that compensating with, within a second as well, so that that's really fast. Yeah. No, and that's that's, and that's why I think this these little details are are, are so interesting because you you can take something, uh, at the back of a chassis, that ends up affecting the whole system, you know, and so you would never. It, it it makes total sense when you when you've been around these platforms a lot, but if you to think like, oh, I have a bag rider system that's gonna benefit my bipod use, you know, that's that's kind of just a, a, a crazy concept that you can tie it all in together to where it all yeah. works so well. Yeah. Hmm. Uh apart from 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 the chassis that I'm really satisfied with, uh the scope mount, of course, it has been a very good product uh, over many years. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we came out with it in, in 2009 and and uh, we're making more than ever before. Apart from that, 
the product that I'm the most satisfied with is is uh, is either the night vision system to to put the night vision on to, to helmets, but we never made any money on it. Uh, we never had any good sales, so the product is is close to death. But it's an amazingly nice product, and the G3 upgrade kit. The G3 upgrade kit. Uh, we sold a lot of them to, to the Swedish army. We sold, sold it to the Portuguese and and selling quite a bit to civilians as well. And it changed the G3 so much. And here is so much different opinions uh, in America. Most people are, are using G3. They, they, they see it as, uh, oh, I, I want to use a 1950s rifle. I, I think it's cool as it was. That's fine. But for a Swedish soldier, he don't have any choice. He have to use that rifle, mm -hmm. uh, and and by by adding our stock, so we we, we got an, a decent uh, length of pull in, instead of uh, the overly excessive length of pull that V three originally had. The gun became so much nicer. It's a tremendous difference. That's awesome. It is. So yeah, and, that was. Uh, oh, go ahead. It, it, it's surprising. That a gun that actually came came around in the fifties, it took so many years before somebody fixed the length of pull issue. Yeah. Well, and, and so that was so that was uh, I was looking at the the systems that you that y'all developed for, um, especially a lot of the HK stuff, the the MP fives and uh, the four seventeen stuff like that, and. Uh, that's kind of how I thought about the the MP5 stuff that you did. Uh, you know, the MP5 has been around for decades, and yeah. then I was looking at the 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 products, and I was like, why why is this? Why did it take so long? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. I, I was like, that's so much. I act, and I didn't know that y'all had made made those systems. Um, and so I, I, it shocked me. I was like, "This is so simple. It it fixes a very dated system, and and, and makes it very modern and very useful." Yeah. Absolutely. Uh. So I I am a sucker for machine guns. I love machine guns. And so when I was I started looking at that stuff, I, I was I was nerding out on it. But yeah. Uh, I liked them a lot too, uh, and especially the older stuff. So yeah. World War One machine guns is, uh, is is the favorites. The World War Ones. Yeah. Uh, what, so, what's your favorite? I I like the Vickers a lot. Um, I don't like the Hotchkiss, but 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 I enjoy playing with it. Um, the type of magazine it feeds, it's it's pretty annoying, but they're really well made and, and they're very cumbersome. <laughs> but uh, I like those old stuff. Um, I do have um, a Schwarzlose 0712, but for, for the Swedish Army in 6.555, it's an amazing gun. A blowback shooting a 6.555 round. Really? Yeah, I'm not I'm not familiar with that. Is it? That's really interesting. Yeah. So a it's a water-cooled blowback. Uh, very <laughs> odd solution. How how long was that in service? 
In Sweden, it was in service until 1950 sometimes, and Germany okay. used quite a lot on the Eastern Front in the Second World War. Okay. Germany never adopted the gun, uh, but when they uh, when they went in cooperation with, with Austria, they of course took the Austrian guns with them. Gotcha. Austrian guns, yeah. But yeah, I'd never heard of that. Um, I'm I, I'm not as familiar with with World War One. I, I World World War Two interests me a lot more. Um, yeah, and then I I I I like new stuff. I like the more modern things that are out. Yeah, um, my, most of my interest in guns is is the guns you not can buy over the counter. Yeah. I have way less interest for guns you buy over the counter than 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 the old stuff. Yeah, but but this is changing all the time. I mean, uh, uh, a number of years, long range is the most fun there is, and and then then there is a few years where it's double barrel rifles, and and a few years with with a lot of lugers, and and it changes all the time. Yeah, and that's that's one of the things I love about uh, just the firearms and the firearms industries. There's there's something. There's something for everybody, whether yeah. you, whether you like antiques or high points or <laughs> whatever it is. Um, I think I so there's a there's an old. Uh, I think they stopped making it in the the early '80s, um, and I have zero reason to own this. I just want one really bad. It's uh, Marlin made this shotgun called the Super Goose. Have you ever seen yeah. that? It's a and a, it's like a thirty, I think it's like a thirty-six inch barrel, uh, and it's a bolt action ten gauge. Yeah, I, I the first I was like, I want one of those so bad. <laughs> I'll, I'll probably you know, yeah. I'll probably go shoot it once or twice, but I just I something about that is just so yeah unique. Uh, and, and that's that's also really cool in the gun world. If you really want to spend all the money you have. You have all the possibilities in the world. <laughs> yeah. If you don't want to spend a lot of money, you can still get really good stuff for shit money, for really low money. You don't have to buy the most expensive. Of course, you want to do it, but you don't have to do it. Right. Uh, that yes. So that's one thing I, I think that's been really interesting over, especially over the last five years or so the the amount of products and how far things have come uh from rifles and bullets and and optics i mean just kind of overwhelming it's we've i think that we've come very very far very quickly and then and with that it's driven prices down on things that were previously unaffordable for for a lot of people yeah um yeah i mean like uh i think my best is like a bergara rifle now uh you know seven or eight hundred bucks and it's a really really same thing as a ticket t3 uh yes. very low money amazing gun um we see the same thing on on, on scopes we we in the past, if you wanted a good long-range scope, it was really expensive. Now you have all the possibilities to spend a lot of money. 
but you don't have to spend a lot of money. There is lower price alternatives that not are bad. Right. Uh, yeah, I was so I was just talking uh, the the new loophole Mark IV scope that they launched this year. Uh, I think it's pretty remarkable. Uh, okay. Uh, it's a very very nice scope and and it there it's retailing for fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah. And, you know, and where we never would have had, we haven't had that really ever. Yeah. Um, but okay. And so, so you said, so do you do a, a lot of long range shooting? Uh, I, I used to do actually, but, but I bought a farm a, a couple of years ago and we are renovating it. So I'm spending almost all my time not working. I'm, I'm, I'm at the farm. Uh, working with the farm so uh, I haven't been uh, doing much long-range shooting for about two years now but but before that uh, I've shot a lot okay what what uh what did you shoot I mean do you do PRS or field yeah. matches or P PRS m mainly and and okay. we had we have um, field matches here that are Swedish field matches uh, where people used to shoot with with old mousers and and uh, modernized mousers, and uh, they didn't allow scopes and they didn't allow bipods. And from maybe from two thousand and seven, I worked quite a lot on the shooting association, and I got it opened up so we we could start shooting with with bipods and scopes and and other calibers and other guns than than they were using. Uh, so I was pretty active in that too. Okay. What and, uh... and, and, and this was pretty cool. I mean, especially especially in the past, this was extremely big. Every village in in Sweden had their own three hundred meter range, and and wow. they had and there was field matches like every weekend in the past, like seventies and eighties, and you, you just went out to to a small village, and uh, there were maybe 150, 200 men gathering. And they were shooting unknown distances between 150 yards up to 650 yards. Wow! Out in the fields, really nice. That's awesome. Yeah, that would be really fun. What uh, what uh, what cartridge were you shooting? Six five yard. Six five. Yeah, well, well uh, in Paris, uh. I were either shooting 6.555 actually improved or or 6 millimeter GT. Okay. Okay, so the, yeah, the 6 GT is huge. Uh Yeah. But a 6.555 actually. Yeah. That's... That that have been that that have been my main cartridge since 95 96. Really? Yeah. So what so what bullet are you shooting out of that? depending on what I'm doing when I was competing with it I were using 140 grain burgers okay uh and when I'm shooting pigs and whatever uh normally 140 grain uh, uh hornets okay and what kind of speed are you getting out of that too much too much <laughs> I was saying it's got to be, it's got to have some oomph behind it. 
Okay. Well, well, I think this is going to be really big, and we never seen so much interest for anything ever before. We we built together the mount that holds the the red outside and and the flip mount for 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 a three power attachment. So instead of having two mounts, uh, they're sitting together. It's it's one mount, so it's lighter, and you can easily remove the tree power. Really? Yeah. Is this is this for is it for uh which site is, is it for an aimpoint? Yeah. Uh. So so far I worked mainly with aimpoint T two. Okay. Um. Yeah. That's really interesting. No, I didn't. I didn't see that. That's really cool. It is, and and there is an attachment as well for for uh, with the Picton rail in front, so you can put on okay. uh, a, a laser mounted onto the mount instead of the forend. Uh, okay. And and the idea with that is uh, quite a lot of of forends are flexing around quite a bit. Yeah. So, so instead of allowing uh, the laser to, to flex. Uh, the forehand is flexing, but but the laser is is fixed. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, and then I guess how how does the magnifier disconnect from from the the flip mount? Um, there is a spigot mounted onto the magnifier, okay. and you're pushing out the cross bolt. From left to right on the mount, and and now you can detach uh, the the tree power and just draw it straight backwards, and it it, it leaves the main mount. Okay, and and you do it like in two three seconds. It's it's really fast. Okay, I'm gonna have to check that out. That's really cool. Yeah. I I pre precision rifle is is by far my my passion, but I love I love carbines and machine guns and yeah all that stuff uh that's that's really unique because i haven't i don't think i've seen seen something uh, what what height is it uh 225 in 291 okay yeah okay they so need so they're not flipping to the side um they're mainly flipping, not really to center, but but uh, it's more centerish, and and more and in line. It. Yeah, so to to make um, make them lower, like like a one and a half and and so on, mm -hmm. and lower third, we we have to flip the side. Um, but the, the first variations here, they they are they are more centerish. Okay. Well, and I think that's yeah. where a lot of a lot of the trends are heading, anyways. With yeah. with as much as night vision, and and more and more people having infrared and stuff like that, uh, I think that's where it's headed, anyways. Yeah, you're gonna make me go spend money. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, but okay. Well, man, uh, thank you so much. I, this is this has been awesome, and getting to talk to. Uh, someone that thinks like you is 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 very it's very entertaining very educational uh thank you i feel like i was trying to keep up most of the time but <laughs> <laughs> but i i, I sincerely appreciate it and, and thank you for um 
well, y'all do. Y'all, I mean, y'all just have amazing products. And I, I mean, I've been using them for, for main, mainly the scope mounts, but I've been using them for years. And the only time it's ever messed up was because I did something stupid. So <laughs> it's, uh, that's, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. Thank you. Well, uh, that's all. Anything you wanted to leave, you want to leave us with that y'all are, you want people to know? Well, only thing is probably to repeat what I said in, in the podcast with Eric Cortina. And and that is lubrication of, of the pictin rail. Have you heard that? Mm -mm. I think that this is so important, and especially when, when we're talking about precision rifles. We, we, we have a, a sponsored shooter in the United States who were shooting a match, a Saturday and Sunday match. And he were doing really, really fine on on the Saturday. On on the sun Saturday evening, the gun was standing on a bipod in the hotel room, and it fell over. And he didn't hit shit on on Sunday. So he called me and he said there is something wrong with the man because I lost a I lost a point of impact. Uh, so I start to make a lot of tests, and, and first I said, no, no, I, I don't believe you. Um, there got to be something wrong with the scope. Uh, so he, he he went away to to um, a server server center and they measured the scope up in the, in the collimator. There was nothing wrong with the scope. So I took I, I do have a Hansalt collimator and the Hansalt collimator it's basically a scope mount mounted on a bench, and I mount the the the, the real scope the, the real rifle scope on the same bench. Now I can measure the movement of the reticle. I can measure the subtensions of the reticle. It's, it's really a useful thing. But this optical bench is made of out of aluminium and it's it's really weak. It's it's not made to take um, any battery. So I took in in one of my milling machines. I mounted up two vices in 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 a line, and I made a very heavy. Uh, picketing rail and mounted the rifle scope in one of the vices. And otherwise, I took the uh, collimator instrument and mounted there. So now I, I, when, when the scope was corked down to the picketing rail, I could um, center my, uh, my collimator and I could uh, center it on, 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 on the rifle scope and on, on, uh, in the reticle. Now I hit the scope. So I'm actually hitting the scope with an open hand on 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 the objective bell, like this. Um, uh, not not hard enough to to destroy my hand, but certainly hard enough to to start the bar fight. And I had 0.4.5 mil of deviation, and I was devastated. Just, Shit, this is terrible. We sold thousands of mounts, and and and. And here we have movement of, of a small head. What is this? And I have quite a collection of, of other manufacturer scope mounts. So I tested, mm -hmm. not everybody, but but I tested a lot of mounts. Mm -hmm. The best mounts were 0.4.5. The worst mount I tried was three mils. That's really a disaster. Yeah. So in total desperation, I took uh, CLP, 
oil and poured out over the picketing rail. And I twerked down the scope. I don't know why I did it. I, I just did it. And I, I zeroed the, the, the collimator and I hit the scope between zero and point 0.1. It really fixed the problem. Then I told our sponsored shooter, this is what I come up with. Please try it. And he said, this won't work. And I think he probably destroyed the barrel by testing uh, because he didn't have a collimator. So he did all his testing on the shooting range. And and uh, quite a number of the PRS guys today, they are putting lubrication between the picketing rail and the scope mounts, regardless of the manufacturer of the scope mount. This That's is... What is happening here is not really strange. If you look into screw screw recommendations, it's often recommended that you have lubrication on the screws because there is so much of, uh, of the torque that is being lost in friction, especially when aluminum is involved. There is extreme amount that is lost in, in friction. So I believe that the mounts or the rings, uh, doesn't matter, uh, actually set some friction. So when you hit the mount or the scope, um, you're moving it on, on friction. And we are killing the friction with with, with, with with some lubrication. And so are you lubricating the screws or the surface of the Picatinny? Surf surface of the, the Picatinny. Okay. And I say the same thing to him, to, to you, as I did to him. Don't believe me. Go out and try. Take your non-lubricated uh, scope mount uh, and check the zero on, on, on your gun and hit the scope. And if you're satisfied with the point of impact shift, you don't have to do anything. But if you're not satisfied, put some lubrication on and see if the same thing happens. I am going to have to test that. That's really Please interesting. Do. Yeah, it is. I'm trying to think if Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to mess with that. I've got a bunch of different mounts and Yeah. Okay. So try does, it, first, does it matter? Uh-huh. Sorry. Does it matter what... first without uh, an lubrication? So you, so you do it first with, with the dry. Okay. And does it yeah. matter what what type of lubrication or just something? I don't know. Uh, at first, I tried with CLP, and I assumed the thicker, the better. But I don't know. I had okay. good results with anything. Well, that's a pretty good piece of advice. Yeah. I have uh, I have three matches in the next month, so <laughs> I may I I may take everything apart again <laughs> yeah and uh maybe save me a match well awesome well thank you so much uh thank you i, I learned a ton this was a lot of fun good all right well uh nice to meet you. It, it was very nice to meet you and i may have to i may have to get you on again here at some point in the future and uh once i've learned some more things and, and pick your brain <laughs> again yeah you're welcome all uh, right. Well, thank you so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.